0: Hi, everybody. This is Ben Philpott from KUT News and the Texas Tribune. As you know, the Tribune just ended its third Texas Tribune Festival here in Austin, with hundreds of policymakers and politicians from around the state uh, talking to Texans about the big policy issues of the day. And to end the festival, we did a special recording of the Tribcast in front of a live studio audience at KUT's Studio 1A in our new buildings in the Below Center on the UT Austin campus. And since it's a special live recording in front of a live studio audience. We wanted to spice it up a bit. So we had a live version of the Shiny Ribs Texas talking song that they wrote for the beginning of the Tribcast. You'll be able to hear the full version of the song, not just the little snippet that we give you each week, as we kick off our Tribcast.
1: A little TLC never heard anybody. they Andre and they heard Andre One, two, three was that thing you said? Texas talking. Don't put side your head. Texas talking. Tell me who can you trust when Texas yeah. got all. All right. Let's have the big hit.
2: Tribune Tribcast, live from the third annual Texas Tribune Festival. I am reporter Reeve Hamilton. I am joined here by editor Emily Ramshaw. Howdy. Reporter and Border Bureau Chief Julian Aguilar. Hello. And Ben Philpot, the host of Agenda Texas on KUT in the Texas Tribune. Hello. Welcome to KUT. Right, so because this is a sort of a special edition of the Tribcast, we are going to take up a little more time, have a few more special guests, and a little bit more live music than we usually have. So I hope that's okay. We don't usually the... have a house no, band. No
3: live music, yeah. <laughs> this is the first time. But
2: well, we do. Shiny Grips is the band that does our theme song. We should yeah. <laughs> thank them for that. we uh, might not tell you this, but the statesman did just say that Kevin Russell is the best songwriter in the state. Yeah. Woo! And so, so this, is, this is our last event of the festival. Uh, and panel, I was wondering what you thought was maybe the most news-making event. Maybe we'll start with you, Emily.
3: Well, I personally think that the most news-making event, I think um, inadvertently the First Lady of Texas maybe made a little more news than she intended to yesterday. Um, Evan Smith, our CEO and editor-in-chief, asked her about abortion, which is obviously a big topic right now. Um, And, you know, he tried to sort of pin her down on whether there was any air between her and her husband on the issue. And uh, he asked her many different ways, and I think her answer was probably not as firm as some in her party would have liked. You know, she said that uh, as she has gotten older, she has seen that there are two sides to every nickel. Uh, While she, you know, firmly opposes abortion, she still... What are you laughing at? I just think the
2: Republicans are very committed to the one-nickel They do like the nickel, the (laughs) one-sided nickel. Yeah,
3: Exactly. (laughs) Um, you know she's a fiscal thing. It, it is a fiscal thing. Um, I think you, know, she said that um, while she still does not obviously believe in abortion, she thinks that maybe you know, she understands or she doesn't judge women who make those decisions. She also made some comments about uh, Rick Perry's uh, comments on Wendy Davis. Perry had previously said about Wendy Davis's, um, you know, uh, her own abortion filibuster that, you know, maybe she should have looked at her own decisions as a single mother raising two daughters. Um, That had outraged a lot of women, particularly on the left. Anita Perry said yesterday that maybe her husband should have chosen different words and that maybe he should have chosen terminology that was a little bit more sensitive to Wendy Davis's situation. So I think that made probably what I would say was the biggest news of Saturday.
2: Her, the, the abortion thing is a bit of a hedge, right? She said it it could be, abortion could be a, a woman's it, right. It
3: could be a woman's right. It sort of leaves room said. for, well, it right. also
2: might not be. You, know, you never know.
3: <laughs> right. And I think, you know, if you look at the terminology she used, if you actually listen to the audio, which we have posted um, in full on the website, you know, it, it's it's pretty, she leaves a lot of space there. There's a little bit of hemming and a little bit of hawing. So, but I think maybe this is sort of the Laura Bush approach. You could say that You know, Anita Perry's not the kind of woman who makes mistakes in those settings. You could say that this is sort of, you know, setting themselves up for another presidential run. Maybe you have a first lady who wants to sort of appeal to maybe more moderate female voters at this sort of uh, interesting time for women and abortion issues in in Texas and nationally. Who knows? This could have been planned. Yeah, no, possibly. Julian,
2: what had your panel go? What did you
4: do? I did border security and I did immigration reform, and and a few things kind of stood out. um, The fact that... In the green room, everybody kind of came to the realization that immigration reform has kind of fizzled out um, because it's just they either they didn't get time or it's just too volatile an issue. And whereas six months ago, there was a lot of hope that, that was going to happen, and so now there's some piecemeal approach, but it's still not what everybody wants. Um, and that was actually a surprise at both you know the Republicans and Democrats saying you know this is this is kind of dead in the water. Unfortunately, I'm on the border, so I see it a lot more, and why that's important. And I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed, but then there's there's like a glimmer of hope that they might kind of come back, and get it get a better deal, and it. The, the Republicans say the Democrats know that it's dead, and they're going to use that in 2014, which is actually kind of a logical logical assumption. And I think that's that's probably what's going to happen in 2014. They're going to say, look, we had a bill, the Republicans didn't go for it, um, so you know, vote for us, let, let us get a majority of, of the Congress back, and then we'll we'll kind of work with you all on that, and then also. Uh, Sitting in the, the Voting Rights Act panel, that was interesting that voter ID is just not going away, no matter what the Supreme Court says. You know, there's a, a Section 2 protection, which I think the, the quote of the panel was, you know, now you have to prove you're a knuckle dragon racist, but you still, there is still some sort of avenue uh, that, that will keep voter ID, the, the opponents of voter ID, alive.
2: Is that um, attributed to anybody?
4: Um, the name escapes me right now, but yes, it's on my live blog, which you can go to the Texas <laughs> you Tribune You can go B-O-R-G. to Texas Tribune. <laughs> yeah. All the panels are live blogging. Donate there. now.
3: <laughs> what about what did Wendy Davis say um, about driver's licenses and undocumented
4: immigrants? She said that she's she's for that, and that's actually, I mean, a lot of moderate Republicans are for that also, and they can they can defend that stance and saying it's a public safety issue. We need to know who these people are. You know, we we fingerprint them, we ID them, and now there's some sort of uh, identification mechanism to know who these people are instead of just before they were, you know, the the, the quote is living in the shadows. And speaking about uh, Senator Davis, you know, a lot of people said, oh, she, you know, was she was a little more subdued, but she, she doesn't need to be the the Che Guevara anymore. She's running like anymore. Any, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, she she doesn't need to stand up and, and rally the troops. I mean, she. You they know, both she, have nice hair. Well, that's true. Yeah. She, well, she, he's dead, but she still has nice hair. Yeah, <laughs> he has. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, she she said what she said about senator cruz she said that the governor perry had the right to brag about his state also you know she what she said, said about senator cruz is
2: that they do agree on some things yeah and that people shouldn't be afraid to say stuff like that
4: sure and and what, i mean the the thing with the undocumented thing is that you know she can she can use that i think to there are a lot of moderates that, that would agree with her on that you know it's not it's not amnesty it's not immigration reform you know in a nutshell but it is a public safety issue which i think a lot of people would say okay yeah that might not be a bad idea
2: well, so she bookended the festival. Uh, ben, did you go to the the front end of the festival? Of
4: course,
0: I even got in the room. <laughs> just, just kidding, Evan. Um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that I don't know if this is one of the more interesting things about the Cruz uh, interview, but this is Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, excuse me, the uh, senior senator from Texas. What? Um, did, <coughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> senator Coryn can texting me right. right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, he is the junior senator from Texas, uh, except uh, the way the Tea Party thinks he's already the senior senator. But I, I, you know, I think it once again just shows exactly how polished and prepared uh, Senator Cruz is for everything that he does. Um, he used, you know, you heard lines in the interview that he used when he was running for senator. Uh, you heard, of course, things that he said when he was uh, doing his talkathon on the Senate floor. But you, you know, Evan, I think many times was in a no-win situation of trying to knock him off of uh, his, his his talking points. Um, I was talking to somebody afterwards, and I said, you know, it, it seemed like the equation was: do you get Senator Cruz to say what you expect him to say? On ten different subjects, or do you push him a little bit on some of these subjects and get him to say what you expect him to say on five different subjects um, and and you know the choice was to go for as many topics as possible um, and uh, uh, but it was it was very interesting not having him in the room. I wonder if that maybe gave the people who were there in protest to Senator, uh, Senator Cruz maybe gave them a little more courage to yell out and boo and, and, and other things that happened uh, because he was there on the, the video phone. But
2: he had some support in the room also. Oh, he did. Yes, he did. Of I course. Mean, you want to say something?
3: No, I was just going to say that I think the biggest news he made actually came from a question from the audience, which was someone who asked whether he would um, refuse his own paycheck if the government shut down. And he uh, definitely deferred for a while and then yeah. said he didn't think that was necessary.
2: Yeah, so. It seems like he should have been... Prepared to just. That was maybe the one thing. That was maybe
0: (laughs) one of the one questions that he did not. He actually, in his answer, said, "You know, it's not something I've considered."
2: Yeah. Uh, Well, speaking of getting to as many topics as possible, I think we are actually going to wrap this up. We're being (laughs) ejected from the stage, so we can get more special guests onto the stage. But before that, we will be right back. But first, let's have another song.
1: Got our own thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. I do a man. Watch was a sinner.
2: It's actually, it's a good thing you played that song because a lot of people had to skip church to come see this guy this morning at the <laughs> festival. We have next, sitting next to Ben Philpott, we have Jeremy Bird, the senior advisor to Battleground Texas. <laughs> and next to him, we have Jim Henson, the director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. So maybe, maybe we'll start with you, Jeremy. Uh, oh, and Ben Philpott is back with us also, I should say. Hi. Yeah. Welcome to
0: KUT.
5: <laughs> Way to take Ben for granted. I know.
2: Well, Ben is, I feel like Ben is always by my side
0: wherever I go. I'm
5: his wingman. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
6: yeah.
2: So, Jeremy, you had a panel this morning, and then uh, Wendy Davis had a panel. Um, and we are expecting her to announce for governor this week on Thursday. Uh, she wouldn't say exactly what she was going to announce, but um, are you feeling like the test of the Battleground Texas premise uh, of turning uh, the state into a the battleground state is coming a little sooner than you had anticipated when you started this thing.
7: It's a great question. I mean, certainly when um, you know, I started talking to folks uh, really December, January, you know, after the 2012 election, and I think most insiders, Democrat, Republican, et cetera, across the state of Texas said, you know, don't even don't even think about there being a a statewide election that's competitive in 2014. It's you know a longer term play, and a lot of those same people have a very different conversation today. So yeah, I, I do agree that um the the speed of which um, people have talked about there being you know a potentially competitive uh, statewide election has accelerated significantly over the last couple of months
0: do you is there a pressure on you and your organization to not um, uh, uh, not get swept up in this in that the goal as you have said to other people is always you know the long term plan sure. um, just because there will be and I think you would admit that there will be people who will uh, say that well, I think there will be some people who will say Battleground Texas was a failure if Wendy Davis doesn't get elected governor. Right. H- how much do you have to you know, reassure everyone around the office that just because some people may think that and may, you know, we still have to keep our eyes on the prize of six years out or, or whatever the long term goal is.
7: Sure, sure. I mean, there, there are those cynics that, you know, we were a failure if no one ran. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, there'll always be those folks. Well, out until
0: there. October 3rd, we, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, right. exactly. we don't know what she's announcing yet.
7: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, over anybody else, um, you know, trying run statewide. So, no, I think that's definitely, um, you know, it's a challenge because um, I've told folks um, if someone runs, Democrat runs statewide in 2014 and they win, Texas is still not a battleground state, right? One election doesn't make it a battleground state. If that were the case, Mark Pryor has won in Arkansas. Arkansas would be a battleground state. You have to prove over several cycles that every race is going to be competitive and get it to a place where presidential and any statewide race you're competing, and we're competing for the state house and the state senate. So I don't think one election cycle will make it a battleground state. It certainly will will help accelerate it if there are competitive races early on. But we have to we have to watch out for that, uh, you know. Where people will say it has to happen immediately. We have to have a long-term approach here, and, and we also have to do well in the short term and have results.
0: Is are are you worried, or does it is it a problem if people come to you and say, "Well, now we have a candidate that we believe is more viable than we've had in the past. Please now help us with 2014." Does that take you off your
7: plan, your goal? No, I, not at all, actually, because I mean our sort of organizing model is this: we we um, we believe that every election cycle, we should leave something stronger in place. And the first person I worked with in politics, she said one of the things she was most disillusioned with is that you'd spend millions of dollars every election cycle, throw it all on TV, and when it's over, you got nothing to show. We took a different approach to that in the presidential campaign in 2008 and 2012 that said we have a short-term... Um, goal here, which is to run competitive and, and, and win elections. But we're going to leave something better behind. We're going to leave a data infrastructure. We're going to leave trained volunteers. We're going to do this in the right way. We hap- we happen to also think that it's more helpful in the short term. Um, so, so for us, I don't think it's either or. I think we have to build for the long term, and that doesn't take you off your game for 2014. There will be people running at all different levels that we want to help um, in 2014, and I think that's going to be good for the long term as well. You know, you
5: said something in the in the panel this afternoon that I found really interesting about the balance between mobilization and persuasion. Now that you've been on the ground a while, I mean we've looked at a lot of public opinion for obvious kinds of reasons. I'm wondering how you're assessing what that persuasion piece looks like.
7: Yeah, I mean that's a that's a, it's a really good uh, question and I and I cited uh, I cited your polling uh, in the session because I think if you look at uh, look at Virginia for example, you know, Ten years ago, if you had gone to, to folks in Virginia and said Virginia will be a battleground state that, in fact, will vote for an African-American for president two years in 2008 and 12, people would have told you, you're crazy. Uh, one of the things that really started happening there is we were doing better at mobilizing minority voters throughout the state, but also women, particularly in the suburbs. They started to get more and more disillusioned with the extremism on the Republican Party side, and the Republican Party started driving them more towards moderate Democratic candidates. Your polling shows that to be very much the case since 2010 – um, here in Texas. So that's one huge piece uh, of the puzzle. You know, Bill White got 29, according to exit polls, 29% of the white vote in Texas in 2010, and we got 42.3% of the vote. In order to get up to 49, 50% of the vote um, in, te- in in Texas, it's not just going to be about uh, registration and turnout. We also have to do better. We have to be in the 30s and, and approaching mid to high 30s, you know, with white voters. I think you, um, you know, and that's going to take persuasion. And it's going to take really going for those folks that are voting and say, here's a, you know, we want to put a choice in front of you and talk about these different decisions, and, you know, hopefully the Republican Party will continue to help us with that as well.
2: Well, uh, and Jim, uh, obviously you do the polling for the Texas Tribune. Uh, What are some of the issues where sort of there's wiggle room or there's less sort of, uh, you know, less of difference than people might expect?
5: Where might they fish? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a couple of things that, you know, you notice clearly are, you know, among these suburban women, I think that there's you know this isn't exactly what you asked but there's there's kind of a tone issue i think and one of the one of the ways that when we started looking at the piece we did on suburban women was to start looking at where women were identifying both party and ideologically as the tea party has risen and kind of plateaued and i think had a much more fundamental impact on the discourse of the republican party in the state and i think that's a cluster of issues. Some of them are women's health issues. I think it depends on how you frame abortion, for example. I think abortion is very tricky. I think it's wise that Senator Davis is not really talking about abortion a ton anymore. Um,
2: Unlike Anita Perry, apparently.
5: Right, well, there you go. Um, so I think I think education is an issue that cuts both ways. I think it depends on how you parse out education. Um, I. I think that where she's really going to have some opportunities and where Democrats have opportunities is really what Jeremy implies. As the Republican Party moves to the right and the ideological tone shifts, um, I think it's not an accident that you're hearing Senator Davis talk about a lot about her work on the Economic Development Board in Fort Worth. I think it's about moving voters, but also moving donors. That's
2: right uh jeremy how much when you're trying to uh sort of build this infrastructure and and sort of you referenced when we said made a crack about wendy davis a second ago there are other people that might run statewide also how how dependent is this on personalities and getting sort of big personalities to attract attention
7: well i mean uh, it's certainly uh, you know when people vote they're voting between two or sometimes you know more candidates um and so it is going to be a choice right and and that's uh, I think it's important to think about every election, you know, being a choice and there's there's certainly a lot of places in this country where people are willing to vote in one, you know, the same ballot for different candidates, you know, on both sides and I think there are a lot of independents and and moderate folks who are willing to do that. So it is going to matter who the candidates are. You can't do this in a vacuum and say, we're going to build the infrastructure, we're going to put it all in place, and then people are just going to turn out. We also have to have good candidates. So I think the candidate recruitment piece, I think the long-term bench building piece is really important for us. We've got to field good candidates. But it's a chicken and egg thing. They also have to know there's an infrastructure there on the donor side, on the volunteer side, on the data side, to say, "I, I can get in and there's going to be support for me, which is going to lift me up. And so it's a little bit of both. You know, uh,
5: one of the big questions when y'all came to town was, how is this infrastructure going to interact with the existing infrastructure or lack thereof? And I, it, it can be an indelicate question. I understand. I mean, I think um, that that was that was such an important question as people were looking at you guys coming. Can you give us a sense of what that is, other than you know it's going swell?
7: Sure. <laughs> Sure. No, I, and I tell people this all the time. You know, it, there's this sort of notion that that battleground Texas just sort of came to town, but the history of of you know where we come from is this. I, when I was working on the presidential campaign, every single battleground state I went in, I met people who lived in Texas and wanted to come back here and work. We had thousands of volunteers making phone calls into states two thousand miles, you know, thousands of miles away. We had people driving from El Paso to Las Cruces. They wanted to get engaged in the election. So I was drawn to Help give that infrastructure for those volunteers here in Texas because of what I saw from them, donors as well, um, and what they had been giving, even though the election was not being held in their in their neighborhoods. And so, um, you know, the Republican Party and and the Freedom Works and all these folks will try to paint us as outsiders, you know, who are you know coming in on Texas. But in fact, the 3,000 people who are registered to now register voters, deputized to now register voters, they're Texans. 80% of our staff are Texans. When you go to battleground states, yeah, there are people that work there who aren't from that state. That's part of the, that's part of the puzzle, right? So when we got here, I think you know, there's, been, um, there's, there's always going to be um, you know, suspicion that uh, we'll leave quickly, right? We'll take all the money and run, um, that that's what you know, the Democratic Party has done nationally. So people are kind of weary of that, that it'll just be an ATM for other things. So we have to prove that we're here for the long haul. We've been, you know, meeting with people, you know, meeting after meeting, donors, you know, political groups, et cetera, to sort of build that relationship, and that's what this is all about: building a relationship with folks. And I think has gone way better than I ever thought it would, uh, and I, and I say that truthfully, not just because we're we're doing this live, but um, you know, if <laughs> you have you have groups all across state, Democratic Party that I think is you know rebuilding and has been very open to us, you know, being here, very supportive, not just publicly but but behind the scenes. You have folks like the Texas Organizing Project that have been very open and we've been open to working with them. You have folks that are doing you know, local things that aren't you know, statewide that we've been able to work with. Um, you know, and so I think it's been a fun process to get to know folks, to prove ourselves, to build that trust. And those folks that, that you know it took a longer time to build trust with, we just have to keep you know, going back to them and saying, look, this is what we're doing. We're completely transparent about our organization. We want to work with everybody else. We're not trying to be the sole answer here. We want to work in coordination with all these other groups. That's what it's going to take.
5: I'm liking the image of you as a sheriff with a posse of deputies. <laughs>
2: What, what, what did you think about the panel this morning? are you have something to say about Debbie? You
0: can't see on the radio, but he's actually wearing a hat and a badge. Yeah. Uh. That's right. And
2: Jim has this sort of bandit costume on. It's, <laughs> it's really it's wild.
5: It's Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: no, I was just going to ask, there was that moment that we referenced in the last panel about where uh, uh, Wendy Davis said, you know, I, I agree with Ted Cruz on, on some things. I, I mean, in order to sort of get uh, Democrats excited, do you have to... Five, move to that center area, or do is it easier to divide? It's easier to like, like I think they talked about on the panel this morning. I uh, mean, anger and hate sort of is a bigger motivating factor for voters than, than like, oh, we all get along.
7: Now you know what I think the biggest thing in, in politics that I've seen in my day is authenticity. You know, people want their candidates to be real, and it's not real to go out there and say I don't agree with. That. I mean, no one believes that, right? No one believes that because. You know, you're a Republican. I'm a Democrat. We don't agree on anything. In fact, a lot of it is we agree on what we want to have happen. We disagree on how to get there many times, right? But you know, it's very you know, my parents are Republicans. Um, you know, I've been around re- Republicans all my life. There's very, very rarely do we not. Some of <laughs> my suspicious. best friends are Republicans. <laughs> I know. I know. Just, Ben's yeah, I a professional. Was... He
5: got the mic to his mouth faster than I did.
7: <laughs> You know, and I think I think it's just real to say, yeah, there are some things. Even though, you know, he's way far on the right on most issues, there are things that they agree on. And I don't think you have to deny that. And I think it's uh, it's you know an impoverishment of our of our politics if we can't say that.
0: Well, but what they agree on is that they don't want Cornyn to be the senator anymore. I think. <laughs> <laughs> senator Cornyn, they don't want to <laughs> no. She just didn't say that, but I think Jim, is there anywhere they they anywhere
2: they can't fish? Um. um Are there some things in Texas that are just immovable?
5: Well, you know, I mean I I think I think the Democratic Party has decided it's not gonna be a socially conservative party on issues like gay marriage and, and choice. And I think but I do think that historically they're probably on the right side of that. I think I you know, I actually wanted to I was gonna ask Jeremy about how well, they were doing in late. terms of the big you know, the the two hundred and fifty four county strategy. You know, the rural areas I think are an, are an interesting case in Texas that I think a lot of people argue about. Um You know, one of the guys that was a researcher on the poll team during the 2010 election wrote a piece during the White-Perry race called Bill White's Everywhere Else Problem, which is if you looked in the main cities and even in the changing suburbs, White ran very competitively, and some of those you know ballot boxes even in the suburbs were closer even where Perry was ahead and won, were closer than you would have thought. But, you know, in these less populated, um, not just rural areas, but also the small and medium-sized towns, Perry racks up, you know, the Perry and the Republicans, rack up really big margins. And that's kind of the question, I think. You know, the Democrats are clearly a modern, urban, white intellectual party with minority voters, you know, sort of very strongly in their favor at this moment. And I think probably not likely, some people can argue, but probably not likely to move in any big numbers given the current state of the Republican Party. What's going on in these smaller towns in Texas where... There are not tons of votes, but if you could close the margin uniformly in a bunch of those places and start peeling pieces off, then, you know, really you, might, you could be cooking with gas out
0: there. That, yeah, that's a, a consultant I talked to last week about, Wendy Davis running said, you know, that, yeah, in East Texas it's 80-20, if you're lucky, uh, for a Democrat, then if she can move towards 30 or 35 percent of the vote out there, then that's – that would be the goal out there, not that she's going to win any of these Texas counties.
5: And it's really tricky, and that's where Texas being expensive, I think, and also just, you know, so damn big. is just, you know, we'll you, can, you, can, out. you can have that conversation Darn about it would be great if we ran better in the rural areas. But, you know, it's it's expensive, and you do have to, you know, go where the votes are.
7: Yeah. So my my job in 2004, I was in the national boiler room for for the party, was to take – the results that were coming in from Florida and Ohio, and then deliver them to the campaign leadership—worst job ever. Um, <laughs> but we were looking at Ohio, right? And they, they, the experts said, "You win Cleveland, you, know, you, you win Columbus, and you win Cincinnati by X number of votes, and you win." We did all those three things, but every small county that was coming in was just like one paper cut, then another paper cut, then another paper cut, and you know clearly we lost. Um, and so the difference—the strategy that became in 2008, and 2012 was an 88-county strategy. You need to have a 254-county strategy here which is to say we don't have to win those counties, but we have to do better. And part of it is showing up. And what we have found is that people there who do have democratic values love to be able to find other people on their block, that they're not the only Democrat uh, in in the town. And they start to show up in, in bigger numbers than before because they have a hope that, they're showing up, can do something statewide. So we have to do that. We have to show up everywhere.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the decay of the Democratic Party in those areas is a relatively recent but very real historical artifact. It really, I think you can argue about exactly when it happens, but really mid-'70s that the National Party begins to go, you know, uh, become more liberal, and the liberals in the Democratic Party gain more leverage. But then also after the Sharpstown clean-out, the Democratic Party dies in a lot of those areas. The, the organization goes away, and in a lot of those places does not come back.
0: I think we should go up to uh, the uh, Texas Tribune's sister publication in Montague County and see how the Democrats are doing up there, the, the St. Joe Tribune. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. What happened in Montague County? That was that the you're one referencing? That I know that's
0: a very funny reference that you're making, but I, I No, Don't that was <laughs> That was the one county that Bill White didn't win in the Democratic primary. But oh, yeah. Then, but, but, but then they found out that actually the 18 votes that the other person got, it was a mistake. Yeah. So they gave them back to Bill White, and he won. Greg Abbott's
5: that. all over that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, any other uh, final thoughts? I, th- I think it's obviously we are, we are in a, a time that I think a lot of political reporters, I haven't been around that long, but I, I mean, I've been around for a couple of election cycles, and, and they were pretty subdued uh, sort of slogs almost where people tried to work, work their way up to excited. And I think just what, from what we saw today at the Wendy Davis, it was Ted Cruz was standing room only. Uh, Wendy Davis was standing room only in the overflow room. I mean, it was, it was. It's just. It feels different right now, which I think is. is
0: it feels like a Republican primary. Yeah. I <laughs> I mean, I guess so. Where you actually have two candidates, you know, that are ready to beat each other up over something.
2: Yeah, but she's. But like Julian says, she's sort of in her general election stage already. If yeah. she runs for governor.
7: <laughs> but I think that's an interesting point, right? I mean, for too long um, we've let people, you know, play the game with no one else. On, you know, there's no defense out there, and so they're of course they're running up yardage, and of course they're scoring touchdowns. You've got to have, you know, you've got to get out there and play the game. And so I think it is good to have that atmosphere here. I think it's good for democracy um, to have a healthy, competitive, you know, general election to make people fight. If they want to represent this great state and they want to be your governor or somebody wants to be president of the United States, they should have to go through Texas and they should have to fight for it and they should have to battle for it. And if you look at the numbers, um, it is about if we can actually start changing the people who are voting. You know, when when Perry won, the state it was with like, what, eighteen eighteen 18 percent of the people in Texas who were eligible to vote voted for Rick Perry, 18%. And he was governor. That's about turnout, and it's about getting more people to participate in the democratic process. And unfortunately, we don't have a game right now where where both sides say, we want more people to turn out and vote, and let's compete over ideas. Instead, we have one side that says, we're going to put every barrier in folks' way to hold on to our power, because we know that when more people turn out, it's, it's worse for us. And that's just a fact. You look at it all across the country, and you see people like the GOP chair in Florida who says after the 2012 election, I'm going to be real with you for the first time. We put those barriers in in place with early vote and other things because we wanted fewer minorities to turn out to vote. We wanted fewer Democrats to turn out to vote. Unfortunately, we see that here with folks like Greg Abbott and all the different ways they're going to try to make it harder for folks to vote. We have to get people to be excited about that and to fight back against that and to know that their vote does count. Uh, if we can do that, we're not going to have somebody elected governor with 18% of the vote. You're going to have to actually fight for every single vote in the state, and I think that's what Battleground Texas is all about.
2: Well, uh, Jeremy Bird, Senior Advisor of Battleground Texas, Jim Henson, Director of Texas politic pro- Politics Project. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Speaking of uh, getting excited, I think we'll have some more Shiny Ribs music. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That rocks where he Sugarcane in his hand. Raccoon sleeping in a box. Holds a picture of a silver fox. The sun is falling in the western sky. in reddy holes like cowboys leaving roadie holes sun is falling in the western sky wrinkle in the twinkle of his eye sun is falling in the western sky wrinkle in the twinkle of his eye
2: Thank you. Cool. Pulling well, like a service announcement. If you want to see Shiny Rebs live, I think you can catch them at Threadgills on Friday. October 4th, that's right. October 4th. And then you can catch them at the ACL Music Festival this weekend. And then uh, Antone's on October 30th. Sort of a pre-Halloween thing.
0: Yeah. And they, had a, they just had a wonderful performance this uh, past week right here in Studio 1A for uh, KUT. It was wonderful. Yeah. That was their practice. They said that, you know, that was, they were just here this week to practice for this event. But Did you, know.
2: did you sort of interrupt them and drone on for a while? <laughs> I did, get, just <laughs> to I'll get them we... ready for this, yeah. yes. Uh, all right. For our final panel, we're joined by former state representative Aaron Pena,
0: <laughs> who's tweeting the whole event, I believe.
2: Say hello into the microphone, please, so we can hear your voice. Oh, hello. <laughs> uh-huh. We have reporter Jay Root joining us also. Howdy. Now I, I guess we have to start with uh, uh, Mr. Pena here. Uh, oh, obviously, yeah. uh, we were just talking to Jeremy Byrd, who was trying to bring people into the, Democrat, into the Democratic Party. You are someone who left the Democratic Party and became a Republican. Uh, uh, what what's up with that Yeah no, what's up with <laughs> that <laughs> Oh well what, what do you know that he doesn't? actually, you know, when I
8: was a Democrat, I, I ran for state Democratic Party chair, and my platform was to do essentially what Battleground Texas is doing now. Instead of going for swing voters in East Texas, we would go for base voters. We spent millions of dollars going for swing voters in East Texas and didn't get much to result from it. But we were fought really hard by the party establishment. So what he's doing is, from his perspective, is the right thing to do.
2: Uh, So what, what attracted you to the Republican Party?
8: Well, I was, quite frankly, kicked out of the Democratic Party. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, Texas used to be run by Democrats, but they were conservative Democrats. When I came into the legislature, we had about 15 or 16 conservative Democrats, a lot of them from East Texas. Uh, Border Democrats tend to be a bit more conservative, and we were allowed to be conservative. But as the state has moved further to the right and further to the left and the middle has disappeared... Well, you have to make a choice. Many citizens don't have to make a choice. They're, they can go back and forth. But when you're in office, you've got to vote, and then your caucus has to back you up. So you, I had to make a choice, and I was to the right of center, and so I, I went with the people that
0: reflected my values.
2: And, and obviously you are a uh, Hispanic Republican as uh, well.
0: Last time I checked, Yes. Yeah. Uh, He's also wearing a cowboy hat. You just can't see it on the radio. Is,
2: but this is a growing thing, right? We sombrero.
0: Sombrero. Sorry. Yeah,
2: yeah, I didn't want to go there. He's allowed to it's say okay, it. It's okay. I'm allowed know. to say it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we have more uh, Latino Republicans in the uh, state house, and uh, there's this—you uh, know—there's been this feeling that the, if the Democrats could just, could just get more Hispanics to vote, then they would be winning. You because know, they figured that Hispanics will vote Democrat but uh, you seem to be at least a a small illustration that that might not be the case.
8: Look, human beings around the planet are, are very diverse philosophically. I can't imagine anybody coming here and saying, look, because you're from a certain ethnic group, you have to think and vote a certain way. You go to Latin America, you've got conservatives, you've got liberals, but all of a sudden, because you're in this country, if you're a minority, you're expected to think and act and vote a certain way. That's not the case. We have uh, philosophical differences within ethnicities. Within, For those of you who are from Texas, I will say, do you know the difference between a San Antonio? This is not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. May it could be a joke. It's going to sound like it, one, I'm afraid. It's going to sound like one. You know, there are differences culturally between people from New Mexico and Texas. Do you agree? Yes. Okay, Very. we know that. Well, I will tell you, being from the border and comparing myself to Austin Hispanics, we're really different. Eddie Rodriguez, who who is from the border, but he he's reflective of, of the Hispanic community in Austin. But he would not get elected. Well, he could, but it, it'd take Maybe a lot of Maybe he's a word. bad illustration. Yeah, he's a bad illustration. But the differences amongst Hispanics, uh, w- whether it be Cuban-American, Argentinian-Americans, uh, San Antonians versus Hispanics from Dallas, were very diverse. And that's the nature of humanity, and that's a healthy thing. And so... Uh, Where I live, we have people who've lived there a long time, and uh, some of us are social conservatives. Some of the millennials are libertarians. Um, I had to make a choice. This is where I'm at. Uh,
2: Jay, do you think, uh, is Greg Abbott worried about uh, Hispanic voters?
9: Uh, Yes. I think that he's um, certainly doing a lot to try to attract Hispanic voters. He's, He's made that and he certainly talked a lot about his wife his wife is hispanic um but it it seems to be very there's not a whole lot of depth there yet i mean we had well, there's not a whole lot of depth to his campaign yet because he hasn't really gone there in terms of putting you know meat on the bones of his of any policy proposals and presumably he'll have some kind of push that would be more uh, you know than just kind of one dimensional you know, Hispanics are conservative. He he says that a lot. You know that Hispanics are conservative, and I'm conservative, and therefore they should vote for me. And and, and of course the abortion issue comes up. I think you have to go further than that, don't you, Aaron? I mean, you have to yeah, do more look, than just say my wife is Hispanic. And well, no, I'm not saying he won't do that. I'm just saying
8: you do have to do more than that. Look, uh, if you look at policy issues and you look at the poll numbers, this is why I love talking to pollsters because. The votes that Hispanics take sometimes don't reflect their values. And I'm going I'm to give you an example. 62% of Hispanics, at least in one of the polls that I saw in Texas, are, identify themselves as pro-life. Yet they still vote Democratic overwhelmingly in, you know, 70 percentile, probably 60 to 70 percentile. Now, why is that? And uh, uh, one of the reasons is we have straight ticket voting. And in my county, for example, 72% of Hispanic Democrats go in and just pull one lever. They're willing to overlook their disagreement with the Democratic Party. It's because there's another narrative that's working. And that narrative is, those people are hostile to me. Some of them don't like me. And some of them are racist. That's the perception, rightfully or wrongfully, that's, that Hispanics have of Republicans. Now, we're all not like that, Okay. And uh, there are voices within our party that we have to denounce. If, if Hispanics are ever going to, uh, well, if we're going to set the table right for everybody, quite frankly, not just Hispanics. Um, so, you know, um, there is a real challenge because the, the demographic numbers show that within 20 years, uh, Hispanics will be overwhelmingly the majority. And the actual voters, as opposed to the warm bodies out there, are going to favor Democrats. And I think by 2036, this will be a democratic state. All factors uh, remaining equal. So you switch parties at the wrong time. Is that what you're saying? Uh, <laughs> uh, look, uh, you got to be true to yourself. And this is who I am, okay? I'm just saying it the way it is. And, and Republicans have a problem. Because quite frankly, from my perspective, although I'm engaged in a lot of their outreach efforts... They're not moving fast enough, and the the Tea Party that you see today, in ten years, that will not be the Republican Party. It will not.
2: What will it be called?
8: You know, well that phil- that philosophy will still be here, but it will it will gradually be in the minority. You think the pendulum swings back? Yeah, I think we've reached our high point uh, for Republicans. A lot. Look, a a lot of a lot of what's going on here has to do with redistricting. Uh, very safe districts, electing people that reflect uh, an extreme within within a district. But the, num- the if you look at the numbers and if you listen to some of the stuff we heard the other day, it's so overwhelmingly obvious. And then I've got my ear to the ground as to where the Hispanic community is, and it is not way out there. It yeah. is, is, They're more... Moderate conservatives. How do you feel like?
0: How do you feel like you're received within the Republican Party when you say things like this? And what I mean is, you know, we talked a lot when Governor Perry was running for president about the idea of uh, of uh, immigration policy within the Republican primary, and you know, you were pointing out how different uh, views, specifically what Governor Perry was promoting in his primary run, worked better with Hispanic voters. How, How are you being? Meeted with uh, being greeted within the Republican Party when you talk about the need for moderation on some of these issues that, because of the perception that you're pushing away uh, Hispanic voters,
8: well, most of it is tone, okay? Because Hispanics, quite honestly, are divided on the question on immigration, and so you have people like this knucklehead the other day who came out. This congressman, forget what is his name, King, Steve King, yeah. Oh my about the, God. the
9: cantaloupes, the, the legs, oh the thigh, or whatever. The, I mean, think about the what calves, are calves. Let's, let's get the he quote said, on. He said that the, that the uh, people that are coming, uh, there's not just dreamers that are coming here, not just people who were brought here by their parents, but people who were carrying drugs across the border and that their calves were the size of cantaloupes because of all of the walking across the, de- the desert.
8: You got You know, think about the millennials out there, and they listen to this message. In, in the diverse America that we've become, to hear that sort of message. Oh, my God. So, uh, you know, I'm a truth teller. I'm not running for anything. I just say it the way it is. Well, and, I think and if that, they don't that's like a, it, that's a, too that, bad. That's what's,
9: that is where Greg Abbott has some difficulty, is that the people who really are are so motivated in the Republican primary and who have propelled, helped propel, I mean, Ted Cruz has propelled himself, but they've obviously been a driving force behind it. They They... They're more. They're a lot closer to Steve King than they are to what you're saying.
8: Well, and so look, what does he do? Look,
9: what does he do about those people? And what? How does he? How does he walk that he, line? He is
8: doing more than I've seen in the past. Okay, I mean, it's 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 not hard because in the past <laughs> it's been quite hostile. Uh, I can remember uh, Kathy Adams when she was chair of the party would say some things that you know I was a conservative Democrat and and it had entered my mind on occasion. Uh, What it would be like on the other side, but I listened to the words about, you know, you're bringing over people with diseases and you're taking over our culture, and oh my God, you know, why should I join a party like that? But what I realize is there's real opportunity, and if you want to change things, you can do them. And we've, for for those of us uh, of 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 Hispanic or other ethnic backgrounds, we've made real changes. If you notice during the the Craddock era in the House of Representatives. Or, quite frankly, in, in recent times. Uh, how many bills did you see come up in those very difficult times when there was this anti-immigrant sentiment? Uh, hundreds of bills. How many passed? You ever wonder why they didn't pass?
9: No, I know they killed him behind closed doors. Well, you know, there, Bob there, Perry <laughs> didn't like it, and, and Charles it wasn't Butt just Bob from Perry, HEB didn't like a, it. There, no, there a were a lot
8: were. of us in private who would have conversations of, hey, look, we cannot support you. If you if you come up with some of these draconian measures, and so they went away, even when I was a Democrat. So there there are great things that can be achieved. Uh, sometimes people won't see them, but uh, the world is coming around. And if you want to make an effort to change things, there's opportunity. You know, my interest is in just simply serving my community and helping people get things done. When Jeremy Byrd gets up here and he says, "Hey, I want to." help change Texas, and I want to be competitive in the arena of ideas, I love that. Because that means neither side can take us for granted. When I was a Democrat, they took us for granted. I ran for party chair. You know what I was told? I mean, this was not long ago. I was told I couldn't be party chair because I was Hispanic. This is a Democratic party. Told me that we have an agreement, a gentleman's agreement, that blacks and Hispanics cannot be party chair. I said, well, this is not a party I want to belong to. Now, thank God, when we left... Uh, we elected a number of Hispanic Republicans, and they did away with that rule. So competition is good. Competition is healthy. And in the arena of ideas, if you cannot um, hold your ground on, on a position, then you don't deserve to, rep- to be representing people. If you can do a better job, more power to them.
2: Well, and I should say that you are not just a Hispanic Republican. You are also one of the, uh, the city's sort of most enthusiastic political junkies. Oh yeah. So what? What? What <laughs> stories are you are you most sort of wrapped up in right now?
8: Well, watching Ted Cruz and the Tea Party evolvement and how that that. Uh, okay.
6: <laughs> He's about okay. to speak some truth, folks. Back up. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
8: Look, you know we've got changing demographics that are occurring in this in this state, and it's affecting our politics, and you can see it. Uh, it's been talked about already and uh, the rise of the Tea Party whether it's consciously, it's conscious or not, uh, is in part a reaction to what the changes that are occurring in our environment. There are stressors that work upon all of us as human beings and I love watching this this evolution of of our politics. Uh, The left is going further to the left, the right is going further to the right But most of the American citizens are right dead smack in the middle. And I want to see what what happens. Because as as, uh, Republicans, we're doing everything we can because that wave is coming and we see Hispanics not supporting the party. But at the same time, we're moving further to the right. And I've talked with my Hispanic conservative members and they're somewhat concerned about the direction of the party and whether or not it is a place for them. Okay, they believe like I do that you can make changes and that, and the reinforcements are coming. Okay, uh, but I love that mix because it really is a story of all of us. It's not about Democrats and Republicans. It's a story of human beings. But and you know how you, we treat each other.
0: But you know, if you wanted to really scare the crap out of everybody, uh, you could get Hispanics to form a third party in the state—a moderate third party. Uh,
8: well, that was tried already. You know, back when if you the c- Unida. The the, uh, there was a time when. Conservative Democrats ran the state, and they basically blew off the Hispanic population and took them for granted. So in 1973, if I'm correct, you can help me, they started a whole new party <laughs> called the Raso Unido Party. And they went out, and because of that, the Democratic gubernatorial candidate almost lost. And so they went and said, hey, wait, guys, <laughs> we may not have liked you in the past, but we like you now. <laughs> and so come on back. So, the, so Hispanics came back into the Democratic fold. But it's that sort of competition that is healthy. And that's why I say I invite the challenge, and Republicans have to be up for the fight, because it's about people, it's not about parties.
2: Well, and, and Jay, you're one of the, the state's uh, leading political reporters. Uh, any, any predictions on how that fight's going to go? What fight? Whatever fight Aaron is excited about. Well... <laughs>
9: Can I? Can I? I, I, I was you can hoping, do it. You can honestly.
2: You can do whatever you want. I was
9: hoping you were going to ask me what I was struck by at the at the Tribune Festival.
2: You weren't on that panel. <laughs> what were no. you struck by? What were What were you struck by? Okay.
9: Well, let me say first of all, <laughs> the, I was struck by the lack of swag, and I, I want a <laughs> I want a CD from the Shiny Ribs. Can I? Can we make oh, that happen? yeah. <laughs> These guys were really awesome. Hey, man I, I was struck also by how unbelievably robotic Ted Cruz can be in terms of sticking to his message. I mean, yep. Julian and I were, when we interviewed him, we exchanged our transcripts and they were almost verbatim. I mean, it, it's, yep. it's freaky. I, I, I wonder if he's human because it, it's just he has this recall of what he's already said that is so striking. Um, Probably why he's a good lawyer. I, I'm sure that, that has something to do with it. Um, I was struck today with the unbelievable interest in wendy davis obviously um and um i thought that it, that that crowd was really just ready to be whipped into a frenzy and i think she sort of let them down a little bit i, mean, I don't think she gave them any red meat and people were just like w- w- wait you know i there i think there were some disappointed people there really I, she's saving it for uh for for thursday, thursday right, right. Um,
2: but I, I also think, having seen her speak in public before, that I, that I don't know if that's her strong suit. It'll be interesting to see if she can become more of a rabble rouser on the campaign trail.
0: Yeah, well, I, you but, know, I, or the idea of does, she, does being a rabble rouser hurt her? I mean, again, the idea of does she need to be the more middle of the road, or you know, at least campaign that way, more middle of the road, moderate candidate? Um, yeah. Considering what at the moment Greg Abbott is doing, which is pushing further to the right, this, we're They're about got, to
2: go down a rabbit hole that we really don't have time uh, sorry. for.
9: Well, well we don't. But but well, let's let's go down this one... one, right, one can you
0: just can you go down it and
2: then uh, Aaron will say something and then we'll be done.
9: Yeah, one yeah. last rabbit. And I'd, I'd actually like to ask uh, Aaron about this. Is the she made news on on saying that she was for license licenses for undocumented immigrants? How will that play? In Texas, I mean in in a general election environment, how will that play? Because Republicans are obviously certainly Tea Party people, they're gonna hate that. They're gonna absolutely hate it. But how will that play
8: in a general election in your opinion? I, I think it'll it'll help solidify the narrative that Democrats are friendly to Hispanics. The overall narrative, okay? Um now, there are people in the business community on the Republican side that actually kind of support that effort. And I will tell you that the last effort in the legislature to get driver's licenses for undocumented people came from the business community because, quite frankly, a lot of their employees are not, not uh, citizens, and they're driving. Well, imagine if you have somebody who you know is not a citizen, and he's driving without a license, and he gets in a wreck. Well, there's punitive damages there. And so the companies are concerned about their bottom line. So it's an interesting dynamic, but I think it it falls into this larger narrative of one party's hostile, one one party's friendly. And that has to be changed, quite honestly, if there's going to be some competition.
2: well, Well, we'll have to get to the rest of that narrative later, or we are out of time. Before we go, I'd like to say if you have questions or comments, those of you in the audience can just ask them after the show or provide them uh, if you're listening to this, you can email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. We would like to thank all of our panelists, Emily Ramshaw, Julian Aguilar, Jeremy Bird, Jim Henson, Jay Root, Aaron Pena, Ben Philpott. We'd like to thank HEB for providing lunch to the people that came. We'd like to thank the Annette Strauss Institute for helping out.
0: And thank KUT for hosting I'd the like event to thank-
2: today. Oh, yeah. I'd like to thank KUT <laughs> AUT is our favorite public radio station. And we'd especially, especially like. Oh, and thank, I'm
0: sorry, and thank our engineers uh, who are here today. Let's see who is it. Casey and Cliff, both here today from KUTX. Thank you.
2: And especially, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs, our favorite band. And they're going to play us one last song, and that, that is our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for coming. Good job.